What is going on, sports fans? Welcome into Season 6, Episode 14 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast. We've got a lot to get to on this week's show. Starting off, NFL Week 14 recap, Joe Flacco and the Cleveland Browns. Flacco mania is sweeping the streets of Cleveland as the Browns find themselves at 8-5 and five after a big win over the Jaguars. We'll talk about that win, talk about the state of the Browns a little bit. Talk about some other storylines around the league, including the Chiefs' meltdown, literally, on the sidelines against the Bills. And some of the other storylines that stood out to me in the Week 14 of the NFL season. We'll also give our 7 in Heaven updated AFC and NFC playoff picks via our NFL playoff machine. Give you the Week 15 picks. Get you set for another great weekend of NFL football that kicks off tonight. Thursday Night Football between the Chargers and the Raiders. We also have some NBA storylines to talk about as well. In-season tournament has come and gone. And oh yeah, Shohei Otani. Welcome to the Los Angeles Dodgers. We'll talk about that as well. So we're going to get to all that on this week's show. Fun-filled hour full of sports. Without further ado, let's go. Season episode, season six, I should say, episode 14 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast. I'm your host of the most too sweet to be sour at the top of the hour. It is noon Eastern on Thursday, December 14th at the time of recording. Welcome to this week's show. Got a lot of sports to talk to, starting with the NFL, starting with week 14, starting with Joe Flacco, Joe Cool, Joe Shiesty, the real Joe Shiesty, and the Cleveland Browns. What? A win for the Browns on Sunday. A little bit overshadowed uh, overshadowed this week by the injury news the Browns got. But, you know, the Browns, the fact that they're 8-5 and five is truly, truly incredible considering all the injuries they have. We're going to talk about the injuries in a minute here. But the Browns, they get a win. They find a way to do it against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Joe Flacco, 26-45, 311 yards, three touchdowns, one pick. But he was... Great for the most part. And uh, Kevin Stefanski names him the starter going forward the rest of the season. Flacco hits David Njoku on the opening drive. Wide open 30-yard touchdown. He hits him again, I believe it was in the second quarter, for another 30-yard touchdown. And then the best touchdown of the day for the Browns, in my opinion, was I believe it was, I believe it was late third, th- third quarter, early fourth quarter. It was fourth and three from about the Brown from the Jaguars, excuse me, 47-yard line. And Stefanski decides to go for it. Everybody in the stadium, everybody watching on TV, including yours truly, thought, what are we doing? Why are we going for this? We should not be going for this. What are we doing? And they're bringing the play clock down. You know, it's down to five, down to four, down to three, down to two. 
I'm like, they're not going to snap it. They're just trying to get him to jump. Maybe they're going to try a long field goal here. Maybe they're going to punt. They're probably going to punt considering where they were on the field, but they snapped the ball. And I'm like, oh gosh, what's going to happen here? And I don't know if it was that Flacco saw something in the defense that made him change from having the option to not snap it to snapping it because he fired a strike to David Bell for for the first, at the first down marker and the defense just lost him and David Bell went about 30 or 40 yards untouched into the end zone for a touchdown. That put the Browns up 14 at the time, 28-14. The Browns hang on. They win 31-27 and it was really an encouraging win for the Browns. I mean, the defense is so much better. I talked about this a little bit on last week's show, and I think I've talked about it throughout the year. The defense is so much better at home than on the road. It's crazy. I think I saw, you know, obviously they had their struggles, the Browns did, against Denver and against the Rams on the road. And then I saw the splits for the defense between home games and road games because you remember they had that Colts game where they get 38 points on the road. They, um, you know, they gave 28 to Seattle. They gave up you're just thinking of the road games in my head. They Outside of the Pittsburgh game on the road, they really struggled defensively on the road. So they were giving up almost 30 points per game on the road as a defense and only 10 points per game at home as a defense. And yes, they gave up 27 points to the Jaguars on Sunday, but they get three turn, four turnovers. They intercept Trevor Lawrence three times, which I was surprised Trevor Lawrence was playing in the first place due to his high ankle sprain that we talked about. But... They intercept Trevor Lawrence four times, or three times, they get a fumble once. Uh, Martin Emerson Jr. had an outstanding game. He had an incredible game. He had two interceptions. He really locked down Calvin Ridley the majority of the game, and he really stepped up, which is what I've been waiting for him or Greg Newsom to do, and Greg Newsom also had an interception in Sunday's win against the Jaguars. I've been waiting for one of those two, one of those two guys or both of those guys to step up while Denzel Ward has been absent due to injury. And it finally happened on Sunday. The defense played well. Um, they were getting pressure as well. I think Grant Delpit had a sack. Maurice Hurst had a sack. You know, Obo Orkoronkoro, uh, Zadarius Smith, they sacked Trevor Lawrence five times. Um, and they inter- they turned the ball. They got four turnovers defensively. And um, it was a really encouraging performance. Jer- Jeremiah Wusokoromoa was making tackles all over the place. He was all over the field on Sunday. So it was a really good performance in the Browns offense, especially led by Joe Flacco. Great performance for the most part. I know they gave up a lot of points, but most of those points were kind of when the game was already decided um, by the defense. And then special teams is incredible. I mean, Dustin Hopkins hit a big 55-yard field goal, remains perfect all year from kicks 50 yards or longer, which is really, really great because obviously with going into the season with the whole Cade York situation, we thought the kicker position might be a position of worry for the Browns, but Dustin Hopkins has really solidified that, and he set the franchise record for most field goals made in a season with 31 with four games left. And then you had Corey Bohorquez, the punter. <laughs> he had one punt on Sunday. I think it was in the first or second quarter. He he punts it basically from his old goal line, and it lands at the opposing 25. 75 yards in the air because the guy caught it in the air. Just what an insane punt. So, I mean, it was a really effective performance for the Browns in all three phases. And I'm really encouraged. We're going to talk about the injuries in a minute, which which slides back my encouragement. But I think the Browns essentially clinched a playoff spot on Sunday with their win against the Jaguars. And I know people out there are going to say, Jack, you can't say that. You're going to jinx us. You're going to jinx us. But guys, it's okay. If I say that they're making the playoffs and they don't, 
I'm not the reason they don't make the playoffs. It's okay to have confidence in your team. It's okay to have confidence in Kevin Stefanski. It's okay to have confidence in Joe Flacco, who's been in, who's been in these big games, who's won a Super Bowl. You know, like when I said, I think it was last week, I said the reason I want Joe Flacco to start for the rest of the season over Dorian Thompson-Robinson is because he has experience, he has moxie, he knows how to read NFL defenses, and he's played in big games, and I trust him more to get this team into the playoffs than Dorian Thompson-Robinson. And Sunday really kind of shored that feeling up for me because you saw him making throws effortlessly. He becomes the first Browns quarterback with three or more passing touchdowns of 30 yards in the same game since Brian Sipe back in 1980, who won the NFL MVP, obviously the cardiac kids year that year. And then he becomes the first Browns quarterback to throw three touchdowns in a game period since Baker Mayfield in 2020 against the Tennessee Titans. Like it's been a long time. And I mean, Joe Flacco, weirdly enough, has kind of kind of leaned into Kevin Stefanski's offense better than any quarterback outside of Baker in 2020. And I think part of it is because Stefanski has kind of switched and tailored the offense to Joe Flacco. Like the Browns are running things with Joe Flacco. They wouldn't run with Deshaun Watson and they were running things with Deshaun Watson, like the bootlegs, like the design quarterback runs that they obviously won't be running with Joe Flacco. But this is the most comfortable I felt with a quarterback in Stefanski's offense since Baker, the playoff year, because Joe Flacco, I know what he's going to do. He's consistent. He's going to make one bad interception apparently per game, which we'll take that if he's throwing multiple touchdowns, but he knows, he knows how to play the game and he's confident in his decision-making. He's a leader. The guys in the locker room, you know, listen to him when he speaks, they trust him. They uh, have a lot of respect for him because he's won on the biggest stage and he's been elite on the biggest stage, winning a Super Bowl MVP. And um, it's, it's, it's exciting to see Joe Flacco, a guy who, you know, he's still got the a heck of an arm. He's still got all the arm talent. I mean, he's still zipping throws. It's good to see him, you know, kind of prove that he's still got something left in the tank, even though he is 38 years old. And um, it's really kind of cool. I mean, I, I hated Joe Flacco. Obviously, as a Browns fan, I hated him. Um, gr- growing up, he would beat the Browns time and time again as the quarterback of the Baltimore Ravens. And then last year, you had him beat the Browns as the quarterback of the Jets in that awful game the Browns were up. 13 with like less than two minutes left that they lost. They lose an onside kick, all that stuff. But Joe Flacco, he comes in, joins the team, what, week 12, week 13. And uh, now he's he's one-on-one as the Browns starter, but he's already thrown almost as many touchdown passes as Kenny Pickett has this year. And uh, he's looks like he's going to lead the Browns into the playoffs. It's, it's really cool and a really cool story for sure. And... I think the Browns are playoff bound, but the thing that worries me with the Browns is their health, and it is seemingly getting worse and worse by the day, which I don't know if that, I didn't know, I didn't think that was possible based off some of the injuries they've already sustained, but here's the list. Uh, If you guys follow me on Twitter, I put out a funny video saying that I was ready to suit up for the Browns, but let's see if we can find it here. Yeah, so here's the list of players that are on injured reserve or have su- here are the you know here's the here's the list of players that have uh season ending injuries this season quarterback Deshaun Watson right tackle Jack Conklin he's the starting right tackle backup right tackle Dewan Jones running back Nick Chubb safety Rodney McLeod wide receiver slash kick returner Jakeem Grant 
Defensive tackle Maurice Hurst, that was new. That happened after Sunday's game. Safety Grant Delpit is out for the regular season. That was new. That happened after Sunday's game. Defensive end Obo Okoronkwo, potentially. They haven't confirmed that, but he has a bad pectoral injury they think might make him miss the rest of the season. That one was new. That happened after Sunday's game. And left left tackle Jedrick Wills, who had been out for an extended period of time, we thought he was going to come off IR next week. Turns out, oh no, he got season-ending surgery. And oh yeah, by the way, Denzel Ward and Juan Thornhill, we still don't know when they're going to be back. So it's been bad. The injuries have really bit the Browns pretty, pretty bad this season. And I mean, just look at yesterday. They had a ton of people not practice. I mean, Kareem Hunt didn't practice yesterday. Um, All those guys, like I mentioned, Anthony Walker, Juan Thornhill, Ethan Pochich didn't practice. I mean, they have a lot of guys in the injury report and it's something to monitor because I think the only thing that would stop this team from getting into the playoffs right now at eight and five is injuries. And they are dealing with a lot of them. But the fact that the Browns are 8-5 and five right now in the driver's seat for the top wildcard spot in the AFC, if you would have told me before the season, hey, Jack, I want you to guess the Browns' record based off these scenarios. I'm like, okay. Nick Chubb tears his knee out for the season in week two. De- Deshaun Watson plays starts six games for you guys breaks his shoulder. He's out for the season after, what, week 9 or week 10. You start four different quarterbacks. Your starter against the Jaguars in week 14 is Joe Flacco. And, oh, yeah, by the way, you have Jack Conklin out, Dewan Jones out, all those other guys that I mentioned are out. Oh, yeah, and then Denzel Ward has missed four games. Miles Garrett is banged up. And all, all the factors that I just listed with injuries – I, and you asked me to guess the record Browns record before the season. I would have said, "What are we three and eleven? Are we three and ten? They're eight and five, and that's truly a testament to the character and the culture in that locker room that's been built by Kevin Stefanski and that coaching staff. And because of how much success they've had with so much adversity throughout this season, it's really encouraging, and it's why I think this Browns team is going to make the playoffs. And it starts with this week against the Bears. They got to win that game. But if they win that game, that gets them to nine. I think they just have to win one more after that to get in the dance. And once you get in the dance, anything can happen. That's that's how I view it. So that was my Brown Soapbox of the Week for Week 14. Let's talk about some other results in Week 14. We'll go game by game, give you a quick thought on each game. Starting with Patriots-Steelers last Thursday night. The Patriots beat the Steelers 21-18. Um, the sky seems to be falling in Pittsburgh a little bit. They, a lot of Steelers fans I've heard, I mean, obviously I'm friends with a lot of Steelers fans, they are kind of done with Mike Tomlin. They want Mike Tomlin gone. They don't think Mike Tomlin is really building a winner. And, hey, he hasn't won a playoff game since the Obama administration. I have pointed that fact out many times on this show. But, you know, he, he, I always respect Mike Tomlin and think he's a heck of a coach because he gets the most out of every roster he can. Like, the Steelers have not been a good team, in my opinion, since, what, 20? And by good, I mean a really contending team since 2018. But they still found a way to make the playoffs most years and get, obviously, a winning record every year. But this year feels different. Obviously, Kenny Pickett's out, but I don't think him being out is that much of a factor because I think he was not a great quarterback either. 
Um, but then Mitch Trubisky comes in. He looks even worse. And the Steelers, they were 7-4 and four with the most healthy quarterback, I would say, out of, you, you know, the way more healthy quarterback situation than the Browns. Obviously, then Kenny Pickett goes down. But they lose back-to-back games to the two-win Cardinals and the two-win Patriots. So, I mean... It feels like a low point for the Steelers in recent years. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. We'll get to our seven in heaven a little bit soon. But I just don't see how this Steelers team makes the playoffs. I just don't think there's enough talent there. So the Patriots win. Steelers lose first game of the week. This one was a little bit of a shocker. It was like the worst game of all time for a half. And then Zach Wilson, your AFC player, offensive player of the week somehow, comes out in the second half, and the Jets score on six straight drives. They beat the Texans 30-6. to C.J. Stroud gets hurt. Nico Collins gets hurt. So it was really interesting result there for the Jets. I mean, I didn't see it coming, but um, it's hard to – it was bad weather. The Jets' defense, we say, is normally good. And once C.J. Stroud got hurt, you know, you knew it was kind of over. But before that, the Texans weren't really moving the ball either. So I don't know how to feel about that result, but – the Jets beat the Texans 30-6 to in Week 14. The Ravens get a huge win. This was probably the game of the day, 37-31 over the Rams. Went to overtime. Matt Stafford looked great, and I had two takeaways from this game. One, I think it's great for the Ravens, and obviously Chauncey's a Ravens fan. He, he mentioned this point to me, and I'll bring it up, and I'll repeat it on this podcast. Um, it's great that the Ravens found a way to win that game. Because all year long, and honestly for the last year and a half, it feels like the Ravens in games where they either have a double-digit lead going into the fourth quarter or they have a lead late, it seems like they love to, They would love to find ways to blow the leads and lose games. And they tried to this time. Lamar, they, they score a touchdown with like, I think it was Zay Flowers. They scored a touchdown with like a minute 20 left, and I'm thinking, all right, this game's over. And I had the Ravens in my survivor pool this week, so I was rooting for Baltimore. But then Stafford goes down, throws a couple vintage throws, one to Puka Nakua, one to Cooper Cup. It reminded me of the the throw he had against the, the Buccaneers in the playoffs a couple years ago. And they get into field goal range, they go to OT, and then the Ravens win on a punt return touchdown in overtime. So I had two takeaways. One, it's good for the Ravens that they won this game because it's a game that they would normally lose the last couple of years. And hopefully this shows that the Ravens, you know, have kind of overcome that blowing leads aspect and that they could truly take that next step towards being a true contender, in my opinion, in a wide open AFC. I think the Ravens could make the Super Bowl. I'm starting to feel like that about this, this Ravens team. And as for the Rams, I think the Rams are really good. I think the Rams are a playoff team. And I think they are, if they're healthy, I would love to see them in the playoffs because I think they're a tough out. And I know they got blown out by the Cowboys earlier this year, but like you, nobody wants to see the Rams, how they're currently playing. Matt Stafford threw for three touchdowns. You know, you had Cooper Cup, Kyron Will, Cooper Cup and Puka Naku are like a really good um or a really good receiving duo. And then they get Kyron Williams, the, the kid out of Notre Dame. He's one of the better running backs in the league. And he he, he kind of came out of nowhere. And it's really cool to see. Obviously, I like Sean McVay. I think Sean McVay is one of the best coaches in the league. And uh, it's cool to see the Rams kind of putting it together. Quick thought on Saints-Panthers. I'm, I'm going to roll through some of these that I don't have really extensive opinions on. Twenty-eight Saints 28, Panthers 6. The Panthers are the worst team in the league. I'm still not overly impressed with the Saints. Next, Bengals 34, Colts 14. This was a semi-big game for AFC wildcards seedings, uh, and now there is a six-way tie for 7-6 and six in the AFC. Um, 
yeah, shout out Jake Browning. He's playing well. I don't know if it's like a two-week thing, two-week, you know, maybe the teams don't have the book on him yet because he's only made two starts, but he's looked really good. Or maybe Joe Burrow is a system quarterback. That is something we have to consider when talking about the eliteness of Jake Browning so far in these two games. But as for the Colts, obviously I pay attention a lot to the Colts uh, working in Indiana, covering sports in Indiana. I think the Colts are going to be okay. Uh, it's a tough loss, but Cincinnati's always a tough place to play. I think the Colts got to find a way to beat Pittsburgh on Saturday. And if they can beat Pittsburgh on Saturday, I think they have a good chance to make the playoffs. But it was just a tough game, and they were due for one because no Jonathan Taylor. You know, they had won four in a row. They had that emotional win against the Titans in overtime the week before. So uh, I knew they were due for a letdown there. And then how about the NFC South? Buccaneers 29, Falcons 25. The Bucks and Baker are now in the driver's seat in the division. Good for them. Um, Lions 13, Bears 28. This was a surprising game. Uh, DJ Moore had an outstanding game. Justin Fields looked great as well. And it's just a reason why I really can't take the Lions seriously as Super Bowl contenders in the NFC. Yes, I think they're going to win that division, obviously. Yes, I think they probably will win their first playoff game if they get... I don't know. I don't know, though. Maybe they don't win their first playoff game. But I think they could win a playoff game is what I'm saying. I just can't see them making the Super Bowl because there's too many issues on that defense. And the defense really gets kind of – has really gotten kind of carved up against everyone they've faced this year since – I forget what it was, but I'm thinking of, like, the last couple games I remember watching the Lions. You know, they get really kind of walked around the field by the Packers – on Thanksgiving, Jordan loves doing whatever he wants. They had that weird game. I think it was the week after against the Saints where they went up 21 nothing in like the game's first, what, five, six minutes. And then the Saints came back and almost won that game because the Lions just kept giving up touchdown after touchdown. But the Bears win. They've won back-to-back games. And now people are – I just hope for the Bears' sake and for their fans' sake. I like Justin Fields. I'm a big Justin Fields fan. Obviously, as an Ohio State fan, I like Justin Fields. But do I think Justin Fields could be good? Yeah. Do I think maybe he's going to start next year somewhere? Oh, yeah. He will get a starting job next year somewhere for sure. Do I think the Bears should run it back with Justin Fields? Absolutely not. And here's why. One, you're going to have the number one pick. You could take Caleb Williams. You should take Caleb Williams. Two, the reason why I think you should take Caleb Williams, not only because he's a generational prospect, is because, A, would you rather pay Justin Fields and extend Justin Fields for $50 million uh, and, you know, waste, not waste, but, like, use that cap space on him? Or would you trade Justin Fields, try to get a third, fourth, third or fourth round pick for him, second round pick maybe, even if he keeps playing well, draft Caleb Williams on a rookie contract with an already stacked defense and sign key players around him with that cap space you would have had to use paying your quarterback? That's been the formula to win the NFL recently. It's what the Eagles did with Jalen Hurts last year. It's what the Niners are doing with Brock Purdy. It's what the Bengals did with Joe Burrow when they made the Super Bowl. Like, If you can have a good quarterback and a rookie deal and surround him with an elite defense, it's like a cheat code in the NFL. And I think that's what the Bears got to do. So um, I just hope Justin Fields playing well down the stretch for Bears fans' sake does not trick the front office into extending him and not taking Caleb Williams number one. That's just my take on that. 49ers 28, Seahawks 16. It was Drew Locke for the Seahawks. Um, Good for the Niners. Um, I think they're the best team in football. Uh, 
I said that last week. I they're my preseason pick to come out of the NFC. Feel great about that. Brock Purdy's playing well, but uh, I think most of that I'm not ready to say Brock Purdy's the MVP because I think most of it is due to the players around him. And yeah, here's why. So there are guys in the league at the quarterback position who play to their talent level around them. And what I mean by that, here, I'll give you some examples. Brock Purdy is one. Tua Tunga Viola is one. Baker Mayfield, I think, is one where they play to their talent level around them. So if you surround them with good talent, they'll play good. That's like Baker. He's playing good with good talent. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, you know, all those guys. You surround them with great talent, i.e. Tua and Tyreek Hill, i.e. Brock Purdy, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Christian McCaffrey, yada, yada, yada. They'll play great, but it's really the play around them elevates their play. And the reason why I don't like Brock Purdy or Tua in the MVP conversation at all is because I think it's more of a byproduct of the players around them, which is why I said last week I would rather have Tyreek Hill be the MVP than than Brock Purdy and than any of the quarterbacks because I think Tyreek is the reason the Dolphins are where they are. So you have the guys like that who play to their talent level around them. And then you have guys like the difference makers, like Josh Allen, like Patrick Mahomes, like Lamar Jackson, like... Jalen Hurts, like Dak Prescott, who are the true difference makers, who can really make a difference and kind of elevate the team around them. They're the great players that are doing the elevating, and they can kind of win no matter what the situation is. And so I like the MVP to be one of those guys. And I know it can't happen every year, but I would lean Dak over Brock if we're giving the MVP to a quarterback this year, and that's the reason why. Then we had the worst game of all time offensively. Played in a dome. The Vikings beat the Raiders 3-0. This game was 0-0 with two minutes left in the fourth quarter. I was rooting for the 0-0 tie because I'm a football sicko. But I don't really have much to say about this game except I just don't think the Vikings are going to make the playoffs. They they switch, they bench Josh Dobbs. Nick Mullins is starting for them this week. We will see how that goes. <laughs> Broncos 24, Chargers 7. Justin Herbert gets hurt. He's out for the year. Uh, And I think the Broncos have a legit chance at the playoffs. They won six of their last seven playing really good football. Bills 20, Chiefs 17. The Bills, I believe for the third straight year in the regular season, beat the Chiefs at Arrowhead. But the story was the play at the end of the game and the the freak out by the Chiefs. Um, So Josh Allen... And the Bills, they, they take a 2017 lead with, a, with about two minutes left. Chiefs get the ball. They, um, they get the ball. They're at about, I would say, about midfield. They run a play. Mahomes fires it to Travis Kelsey. He gains about, I would say, 25 or 30 yards. He's down to, like, the, the Bills' 15-yard line. Kelsey, out of the corner of his eyes, sees Kadarius Toney on the other side of the field. Kelsey throws a dime spiral behind the line so it's a lateral to Kadarius Tony and Kadarius Tony walks into the end zone and it was like the coolest touchdown ever it was going to be one of those moments in this Chiefs Bills rivalry remember we all remember the 13 seconds game where it's going to be like oh my god this is like a heartbreaker how does that happen you know the Chiefs they they're so incredible blah 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 you know but then there's a flag and they called Kadarius Tony offsides 
And if you look at the screen grab and you look at the play, Kadarius Toney was blatantly offside. He was lined up with the ball, and um, he did not check with the officials if he was lined up offsides or not. Or not. Chiefs fans were mad, um, and Patrick Mahomes was really mad. Mahomes, they, they cut to him because obviously the, the Chiefs don't score um, on the drive and the Bills win the game. They cut to him on the sideline. He's like getting held back by teammates. He's like having a full-on tantrum, screaming at the ref, all mad about the call. And then after the game, he's shaking hands with Josh Allen, and he says something like, man, they call offensive offsides on that play. It's the worst effing call I've ever seen. Wildest call I've ever seen, blah, blah, blah. He's really complaining about to Josh Allen about, you know, getting screwed in his opinion on this call. It was just really strange. I'd never seen Patrick Mahomes like that. Yeah, I get you want to win. Yeah, I get your you know you know you you're a fiery guy. You're a very competitive guy, and you hate losing. But like, I just don't think saying it to Josh Allen of all people after in that moment was the right thing to do. But the Chiefs are freaking out. Their fans are freaking out. People are mad about the call, and I don't think people were mad about the call because the it was the right call. Kadarius Tony was offsides. I think they're mad about when they called it. Uh, I heard an analogy. I think it was Nick Wright on First Things First uh, on Fox Sports 1. He said, it's like you drive past a cop every day. You're going 45 and a 35. You wave and smile to the cop. He never pulls you over. But then one day, you have your, you're driving past the cop. You wave and smile. You've got your, your, wife, your, your new wife next to you. You got just married on the back of the car, and you got you know the things going in the road. And then he pulls you over. You know what I mean? So, Canarius Tony did this four times before, prior in the game. But the only time they called it was with a minute 30 left when the Chiefs were at the 50 trying to score a touchdown to win the game. And I think part of it is results-based. Like, if that play did not result in a touchdown, and in a touchdown of that magnitude, with that cool factor, you know, I don't think the Chiefs and their fans would have been as upset. But I also think the argument is, look, there's a minute 30 left. We shouldn't let this flag decide the game, which it kind of essentially did. And I think part of the Chiefs' frustration as well is the fact that they kind of got hosed last week against the Packers on a missed pass interference call on Marquez Valdez-Scantling. And so it's been back-to-back weeks. The Chiefs have not had a favorable whistle late in the fourth quarter, which the Chiefs aren't used to because I think the Chiefs have had a favorable favorable whistle for the last what, four or five years? You know, like, it seems like the Chiefs are always on the receiving ends of these calls, in my opinion. So that's my take on that game. Cowboys 33, Eagles 13. How about those Cowboys, man? Um, The Eagles might be frauds. I don't know if they're frauds, frauds, but they're frauds. They haven't won a game by more than 14 points this year, I don't think. Um, Their last two games, they've lost to... The Cowboys, who they lose to the week before? Was it the... Oh, it was the Niners. So, the two elite NFC other contenders in the NFC, they lose by... They lose by 23 to the Niners, and they lose by 20 to the Cowboys. They've gotten blown out, and the offense has looked really bad, struggled. The offense didn't score an offensive touchdown against that Cowboys defense. So there is a little bit of reason for concern for the Eagles. I just, I don't know. I think they're a good team. I think they're going to be a playoff team. I think they might be there on the in the Final Four weekend. But I'm starting to think the Cowboys might win that division. I don't know. 
As for Dallas, big win for them. It's probably their best win of the season thus far. They have a big game against the Bills on Sunday. But Dak continues to rise his MVP status. The Cowboys are in the driver's seat now in the NFC East. Then we had two outstanding Monday night games, starting with Giants 24, Packers 22. How about Tommy DeVito? He's one of my favorite stories in the NFL right now. Probably him and Joe Flacco are tied for, for first in terms of my favorite NFL storylines. Tommy DeVito, 17-21, 158 yards and a touchdown. Leads a game-winning drive. Every time he did something good, they're cutting to the stands. It's his family. It's his dad who's kissing, kissing everybody on the cheeks like Italians do. Tommy DeVito's doing the cutlet celebration. Um... And then before the game, you see Tommy DeVito's agent looks, looks like a straight up mob guy out of, out of an Italian movie. And it's just, it's just so funny to watch this Tommy DeVito thing. And really New York is getting swept up in Tommy DeVito fever. The Giants, you know, they they were one of the most boring teams to watch all season long. And then they bring in Tommy DeVito and we're thinking, oh, Tommy DeVito, this Italian guy, he's no good. And they've won two games in a row with him. So I think it's a testament to DeVito and uh, Brian Dable. And it's a really fun fun story to watch as the Giants beat the Packers. The Packers riding high after that win against the Chiefs last week. They lose to Tommy DeVito and the Giants the next. And then the shocker of the week was the Dolphins losing to the Titans. The Dolphins were up by 14 with three minutes left. And the Titans scored twice. They win 28-27. Um... Really strange game. The Dolphins might are definitely frauds, in my opinion. They haven't beaten a good team yet. They can't hold on to leads, apparently. And Tyreek Hill missed some time in this game. That offense is wildly different when Tyreek Hill is on the field, when he's not on the field. And I think that's another reason why I would take them take Tyreek, excuse me, to be my MVP. But the Titans win. You know, they're a tough team. Will Levis played great down the stretch. And the Titans get a shocking win over the Dolphins, 28-27. So that was week 14. Let's do are seven in heaven right now before we get to our week 15 picks. Hard to believe we're already in week 15. So let's do seven and heaven real quick. You know what? Let's knock two birds out with one stone. Let's do our week 15 picks and then we'll give our seven in heaven. So no, we'll give our seven in heaven first. I'm sorry. I don't want to do it backwards. Let's do our seven in heaven. Seven in heaven. Starting with the AFC. My number one seed in the AFC entering week 15 is the Baltimore Ravens. Remember, this is what I think is going to happen as the dust settles in week 18, not what it, as it currently stands necessarily. So I got the Baltimore Ravens. Um, they find ways to win. Yes, they've got a tough schedule. I believe that you know they have the, ja- they have the Jaguars on the road this week. Then they have a game against the Niners in San Francisco. And then they go... I believe it's Miami and Pittsburgh to end the year. So they got a tough schedule, but they've been the best team in the AFC, in my opinion, all year long. And if they can find a way to go two and two, I think they'll have a great shot to to, um, be that number one seed in the AFC. So I got the Ravens as the number one seed in the AFC. The number two seed, I have the Kansas City Chiefs. Here's the Chiefs' remaining schedule. At New England, then they go the Raiders at home. Then they have the Bengals with Jake Browning in Arrowhead. Then they go at the Chargers without Justin Herbert. I think the Chiefs are going to run the table and go 4-0 and get to 12-5. and So I got them as the two seed um, in the AFC. Yes, there's problems with the receivers. Yes, they haven't really been able to win games where they have a drive to win it at the end. Like Because before the season, if you would have told me, all right, 
You have a drive to win it. You need a touchdown at the end with a minute 30 left, one timeout. Which quarterback do you want? I'm saying Patrick Mahomes every single time. And really, Mahomes hasn't been able to deliver in those situations this year for the most part. I don't know if that's because of the talent around him. I don't know if that's because, I don't know, some other factors. But I would still have the Chiefs as the two seed based on schedule. And I think they should be able to win out. Then I have the Dolphins as the three seed. Um, they have a really, really tough schedule. They have the Jets this week, but then they have, then they go, it, I think it's at, though, so yeah, they go the Jets this week, then they host Dallas, then they go at Baltimore, then they end with Buffalo. So that's three really tough games to end the year for Miami. I think they might go one and three, but I still think 10 and seven might get you the three seed. Cause I think the Jaguars are also going to be 10 and seven. And I have the Jaguars as the four seed still winning the AFC South. Um, so those are my division winners, Ravens, chiefs, dolphins, Jags in that order five seed. I have your Cleveland Browns. I think the Browns are going to go 10 and seven. I think they're going to find a way to get it done. They're going to go two and two. And I like the Browns to be 10 and seven, get into the playoffs as your five seed. Six seed, I would have the Denver Broncos. Uh, actually, wait, let me flip that. Sorry, I forgot that the Broncos beat the Browns head-to-head. So, I would have the Broncos at five and the Browns at six. I think they're both going to make the playoffs. They're both going to finish 10-7, and seven, I think, because the Broncos have a really, really easy schedule coming up, too. I think they're both going to finish 10-7, and seven, and if they do, since the Broncos beat the Browns head-to-head, the Broncos would be five, the Browns would be six. And that, so those are my t- first two wild card spots. Then the seventh seed in the AFC, I'm between the Bills, Colts, Bengals, and Texans. I'm back on the Kool Aid. I'm back on the Kool Aid. I'm back on the Josh Allen Kool Aid. I'm going to take the Bills as a seventh seed because then I think they have the most talent. And I think if they can beat Dallas on Sunday, I think the Bills are going to make the playoffs. So I'll take the Bills as my seventh seed. So my AFC 7 in heaven entering week 15. Number one, Baltimore. Number two, Kansas City. Three, Miami. Four, Jacksonville. Five, Denver. Six, Cleveland. Seven, Buffalo. With Indianapolis, Cincinnati, and Houston on the outside looking in. And the NFC. Number one seed, your San Francisco 49ers. I said that I think they're the best team in the league. Still believe that. I got the Niners as my one in the NFC. My two seed in the NFC, I have Dallas. I'm more confident in Dallas to win games down the stretch than Philly, even though Philly has an easier schedule. And I believe if they finish with the same head-to-head record, Dallas has the tiebreaker. So I'll take Dallas to be the two seed and win the NFC East over Philly. Three, I got the Detroit Lions. I still think they're going to win that NFC North. Four, I have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm picking a team in the NFC South finally. I know the last couple of weeks I've been like, oh, who cares? It's going to be one of those teams. I have no clue who the best team is. I think Baker Mayfield's the best quarterback in this division. So I'm going to take the best quarterback. I'm going to take the Buccaneers at four to win the NFC South. Five, I have the Eagles, top wildcard spot. It's going to be the loser, the Eagles, Dallas, whoever doesn't win the division. And then six, I have your Rams, the Los Angeles Rams. I think they're the best out of that seven and six, six and seven jumble in the NFC. And I like them to be the six seed. And then seven, I have Green Bay. I think Green Bay has a favorable schedule down the stretch. I trust them way more than I trust Minnesota. I trust them way more than I trust Seattle and Atlanta and New Orleans. 
So I'll take Jordan Love and the Packers to still get into the playoffs despite their loss to Tommy DeVito and the Giants this week. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Week 15 picks. We'll also talk Shohei Otani to the Dodgers and some NBA storylines as well. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this. This is wrestling legend John Cena, and you can't see me, but you're listening to this week's episode, Jack of All Trades. Here's part two. Welcome back to Season 6, Episode 14 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast. Time to predict and pick every game in Week 15 of the NFL season. Starting tonight, Thursday Night Football, we got the quarterback matchup of the ages between Easton Stick and Aiden O'Connell. Oh my goodness, what a thriller. I'm going to take the Raiders at home against the Chargers. (laughs) Nick Mullins, Jake Browning, another Quarterback battle for the ages. This is really the week of Titans going at it at the quarterback position. So Nick Mullins, Jake Browning, Saturday in Cincinnati. Give me the Bengals at home. I'll take the Bengals to win and win their third game in a row with Jake Browning at the helm. Steelers, Colts in Indy, Saturday. Gardner Minshew versus Mitch Trubisky. Another matchup of elite quarterback play. I'll take Gardner Minshew and the Colts. I think they bounce back. I just don't think the Steelers are very good. So I'm going to take the Colts to win and get to 8-6 and six on the year. Broncos-Lions in Detroit. I think it's a bounce-back game for the Lions. I like the Lions to win that game. Jets-Dolphins in Miami. I think the Dolphins bounce back and win that one. Texans at Titans. No C.J. Stroud. So I'm going to take the Titans at home. I think Vrabel's still coaching that team. That team still wants to win. Will Levis is trying to prove he is the guy. So um, I like the Titans to win that game at home, especially without C.J. Stroud probably for the Texans. Buccaneers at Packers, low-key a big game for NFC playoff implications. Uh, I kind of like... The pa- I'll take the Packers at home at Lambeau. I think the Packers get a win at home. Giants at Saints, upset of the week. Give me Tommy Tommy Cutlets, Tommy DeVito and the Giants to win that game on the road, you know? Uh, I just don't think Derek Carr is very good. I don't think the Saints are very good. I think they have a really bad coach. And um, if you heard that noise, that was the A-L-E-X-A, the Amazon A-L-E-X-A. Don't want to say the name because it will make me respond to it. So that was what that noise was. But where was I? All right. I don't think Derek Carr is good. I don't think Dennis Allen's a good coach at all. I like Tommy DeVito and Dable to get the win on the road somehow. And I think their magical run continues. DeVito sanity, baby. Let's keep it rolling. Uh, Falcons at Panthers in Carolina. The Panthers are just the worst. So I'll take the Falcons to win uh, on the road there. Uh, Bears at Browns in Cleveland. Browns injuries worry me. The Bears are playing good football, but I'll take the Browns to win um, and get to 9-5 and five on the season. Chiefs-Patriots lock of the week. Chiefs are not losing to, to Mac Jones. Or Bailey Zappi. Sorry, Bailey Zappi. Um, I'll take the Chiefs to win that game on the road. I don't think it'll be close either. Niners at Cardinals. Give me the Niners. Chauncey had a crazy uh, Kevin Wilds-like prediction. He texted me. I think it was Monday or Sunday, he said, I have a crazy take. I'm like, what is it? He said, I think the Cardinals are going to beat the Niners. I'm like, what? Not going to happen. Sorry, Chauncey. I'm picking the Niners to beat the Cardinals. Commanders at Rams. Give me the Rams at home to win that game. 
Cowboys at Bills in Buffalo. I'll take Buffalo to win at home. Back on the Josh Allen Kool-Aid. I'll take I'll take the Bills to win that game. Um, Ravens at Jags Sunday night in Jacksonville. I think I'm going to take the Jaguars to win. Um, to win that game at home. They've lost two in a row. I think they bounce back and beat the Ravens. So I'll take the Jaguars at home. Then we have Eagles, Seahawks, and Seattle on Monday night. I don't think the Eagles are going to lose three in a row. So I'll take the Eagles to win that game, get to 11 and three. So this is how the current playoff picture would be impacted by, by my picks I made this week. So I have Raiders over Chargers, Bengals over Vikings, Colts over Steelers, Lions over Broncos, Dolphins over Jets, Titans over Texans, Packers over Bucks, Giants over Saints, Falcons over Panthers, Browns over Bears, Chiefs over Patriots, Niners over Cardinals, Rams over Commanders, Bills beating the Cowboys, Jaguars defeating the Ravens, and the Eagles beating the Seahawks. Here's how those picks would impact the current playoff pictures going into week 16 if all those results happen. We'd have the Dolphins as the one seed in the AFC at 10 and 4, the Ravens close behind at 10 and 4 as the two seed, Kansas City as the three seed at 9 and 5, Jacksonville as the four seed at 9 and 5. The Browns would be your fifth seed at 9 and 5. The Cincinnati Bengals would be your sixth seed at 8 and 6, and the Indianapolis Colts would be your seventh seed at 8 and 6 as well in the AFC. In the NFC, the Niners would still be the one at 11 and 3. You'd have the Eagles as the two at 11 and 3. The Lions as the three at 10 and 4. The Falcons would move into that four spot at 7 and 7. Dallas would be five at 10 and four. Minnesota would stay at six despite the loss at seven and seven. And Green Bay would stay at seven with the win getting to seven and seven. So those are my week 15 picks. Let's talk some NBA real quick before we wrap with Shohei. So the NBA season in full swing, the first ever in-season tournament is in the books. And LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers win the NBA in-season tournament. LeBron is your in-season tournament MVP. The Lakers beat the Pacers in the in the championship game. It was kind of a cool in-season tournament. I liked the in-season tournament. It was um, it was fun to watch. It really made people pay attention to regular season NBA basketball in the heart of college football and the NFL season, which I didn't think was possible. So kudos to Adam Silver for that. But the Lakers get it done. LeBron is your in-season tournament MVP. And LeBron continues to win everything there is to win in this league. Yeah, I know it's the in-season tournament. It doesn't really matter for much. But um, good for LeBron and the Lakers for winning it. But Anthony Davis was a real star in that final game against the Pacers. He had 41 points and 20 rebounds. Anthony Davis did. And uh, the in-season tournament was a real, real reminder to me that, um, oh, yeah, when Anthony Davis and LeBron are healthy, the Lakers can beat anybody because when they're healthy and when they feel like it, and when I say they feel like it, I more mean Anthony Davis. When Anthony Davis feels like it, he's one of the best players in the world. And when both him and LeBron are on, this Lakers team is very, very hard to beat. And they showed that with their performance on last Saturday in the in-season tournament finals. So it, it was pretty fun to see uh, the in-season tournament play out how it did. In the NBA, you know, Taking a look at the standings, uh, we'll talk about the Cavs. Let's start with the Cavs. The Cavs right now are in the ninth seed in the Eastern Conference. They're 13-11. and 11. I'm a little worried about the Cavs. Um, I saw the Cavs in person. 
last week, you know, they get a nice win against the Magic team that's been outstanding all season long. But then they followed up with two road losses this week. They lose to the Magic, um, and they lose to the Celtics. Two games where I thought that I thought were pretty, pretty winnable for the Cavs. And it's just it's obviously they don't have Evan Mobley right now. He's out with an injury. So you haven't seen the full roster. The defense is playing better. The defense is up to seventh in, in uh, I think, net rating, which is good because they were number one last year in net rating. But it's just something feels off about this Cavs team. I don't know what it is. Last year, obviously, they won 50 games. You know, Donovan Mitchell played great. You know, Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland are still playing great. Yeah, they haven't had Evan Mobley or Jared Allen pretty much healthy for stretches at most of the season. Um Something just feels off. I mean, they're 13 and 11. I just don't think they're tough. I don't think that toughness they had, especially on the defensive end last year. Yes, I know they've I know they've won eight of their last 12, but I just don't think they had the same toughness that they had last year. I think that's part of it. I think they make a lot of excuses when they lose, especially J.B. Bickerstaff, and I just don't like that. I mean, this is this was supposed to be the year. You know, last year was the year, okay, you got your playoff experience as, a cat, as the Cavs. You're a young team. You weren't supposed to, you know, w- make a conference finals. But this year, it might be your last year with Donovan Mitchell. You traded three first-round picks for him. You should try and make the conference finals. Try and make the finals. And I just don't think the Cavs have enough talent, toughness, or coaching to do that. And so I think they got to figure it out quick. I don't know what they got to do. Um, part, part of the concern to me is that they've looked better, in my opinion, this season when they only have one of the two bigs on the court in Mobley or Allen. When they both have both of them on the court, it gets kind of crowded up offensively. And I think part of it's because neither of those guys has a true outside game and can space the floor. With an outside game like the Kristaps Porzingis, Porzingis's of the world, like Nikola Jokic, and I know that's a big ask asking Evan Mobley to be Nikola Jokic, but what I'm saying is you need to have somewhat of an outside game to be able to space the floor in today's NBA and to be a really truly successful offense. But the Cavs don't have either of those guys because Evan Mobley and Jared Allen primarily only work inside. So that I'm just a little concerned. I just think. They're going to make the playoffs. They're going to be fine. They're going to make the playoffs. But they got to figure it out. I mean, I thought they were the third best team in the East going into the year. Now I don't even know if they're top five. You know, it, it's just, it, it's a weird year for the Cavs because they it, they kind of have to go for it this year because the looming Mitchell situation. So I don't know what they're going to do. It's just the last two losses have been kind of concerning to me as a, as a Cavs fan. Um, but in the Eastern Conference, the Celtics are 17-5. and They play the Cavs again tonight in Boston. The Celtics are 11-0 at home. They've been really good. The Bucks 17-7. They've obviously been great. The Magic are 16-7. They've been one of the surprises of the young season. They've been outstanding. 11-2 for the Magic at home. Sixers 16-7. They're the four seed. The Pacers 5 seed 13-9. Tyrese Halliburton looks like a true super, superstar. Um, and then you have, you know, the Heat, Knicks, Nets, Cavs, all above 500 in that 6-9 to nine range there. In the West, it's the Timberwolves on top of the West, 17-5. and five. They've been really good. I raved about them a couple weeks ago. I thought maybe they're the second-best team in the best. In the West, they've shown that. The Thunder and the Mavericks still off to their impressive starts. The Nuggets are the four. The Lakers are the five. You got the Kings, Rockets, and Clippers rounding out the top eight there. So it's going to be an interesting regular season in the NBA. Um, 
if I had to pick my favorites right now, I would still lean Denver in the West and I would lean Boston in the East. Pretty chalky, I know. But my dark horse in the East would probably be dark horse in that a lot of people probably won't pick them. Would honestly probably be Miami right now. They're just 60. They're kind of flying under the radar, but they're always going to be there at the end, in my opinion. And then the West, my dark horse would probably still be, I would probably still go with Minnesota, even though they're number one seed in the West right now. I just, not a lot of people were picking them to do anything, but the Rudy Gobert experiment seems like it's working this year. And I think Anthony, they'll go as far as Anthony Edwards goes. And they've been really, really impressive to this point in the young season. So yeah, that's what's going on around the association. We'll end with Shohei Otani. Um, so when I recorded last week, Shohei had not signed anywhere. And then the next day, he did sign somewhere, of course. Shohei Otani is a member of the Los Angeles Dodgers. He goes across the street, so to speak, even though the Angels play in Anaheim. But he joined, He goes from the Los Angeles Angels to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Signs a 10-year $700 million contract was, was what it was initially reported at. $700 million contract. Large, richest richest deal in baseball history. I believe it was the largest contract. Yeah, largest contract in sports history, eclipsing Lionel Messi's $600, $673 million contract with FC Barcelona. But the, the, uh, the terms of this contract are pretty strange for especially the sport of baseball. I think it stinks for the sport of baseball, and I'll explain why in a minute. So he's not going to be paid a straight $70 million per year for 10 years. It's like they're going to have unprecedented deferrals. So here's, here's how it was explained by The Athletic. In an effort to enable the Dodgers to continue spending around stars, Otani, Mookie Betts, and Freddie Freeman, Otani agreed to defer all but $2 million of his annual sa- salary, $68 million of his $70 million per year, until after the completion of the contract. The deferred money is to be paid out without interest from 2034 to 2043. So Otani agreed to defer $680 million of this $700 million contract with the Dodgers till 2034 through 2043. So what this means is the Dodgers are only going to have to pay Shohei $2 million per year for the for the length of his contract while he's playing. And so they can still kind of build up and play. They can still build up and pay other stars to come join and play with Shohei. It's a great move for the Dodgers. It's an awful move for baseball. It's not a great move for Shohei either. And why that is, is here's how, how I'll explain it. So inflation, obviously inflation exists. Without interest was the key wording in this point because if there was interest, it's a little different. Yes, they're going to pay him $68 million per year from 2034 to 2043, but $68 million in 2034 is not as valuable as $68 million now. So I, I think it, I forget what study it was, but they looked at the true um, value of Shohei's contract and they said, oh, when you take into consideration the deferrals, when you take into consideration inflation, his true measure of his contract is actually about $450 million total. Even though it's said on the check, he's making $700 million. So Shohei, I mean, yeah, oh, you get $700 million, but 
you're only actually making about $450 million. I know. He's still well off. I know it's, you know, apples and oranges and all that. But it stinks for baseball because it's really unfair that this deferral system exists for big market teams because, like, small market teams like the Guardians and, like, the A's could never do this. They could never defer this money because they won't have that amount of money when the deferrals are needed or when you need to pay those deferrals out, you know? It's like Shohei Otani is the new Bobby Bonilla, if you if you understand that reference. But, like, small market teams can never do this, but big market teams have the luxury to do this. And it stinks because, like I said, a small market team can never hand out this contract due to the salary cap. But now the Dodgers, they're paying Otani only $2 million per year, and they can still pay other star players to come join them and continue to build this super team in Los Angeles. So, I mean, good for Shohei for getting paid. Largest contract, in quotes, in sports history. But um, I think it's not good for the sport of baseball in its totality. That's just my opinion. The deferrals are wacky. They're very weird. They're very strange. But I understand why the Dodgers did it. If there's no rule against it, you might as well, you might as well do it. So that's the Shohei Otani situation. Otani is a Dodger, and the Dodgers skyrocket to favorites, I believe, to win the World Series next season and with that we're gonna say so long for this week's show thank you so much for listening to the podcast be sure to follow the podcast on instagram at joat sports pod at j-o-a-t sports pod give me a follow on twitter at the real j burns that's at the real j b-e-r-n-z you can also follow me on twitter at jack bernie tv real quick shameless plug i'm gonna be on my coworker from WTWO, Stuart Brookings podcast. It's called Morning Brew with Stu Sports Podcast. We're going to talk all things Browns, all things NBA, talk some college football playoff as well. We're going to talk about that. I'm going to be on that podcast this week, so I'll post that link so you guys can listen on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, all that good stuff. So if you want to see that podcast, listen to that podcast with me and Stuart, I will give you that link as well. But hope you guys have a great week. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'll be back next week with another fantastic episode. Until then, I've been Jack Burney, signing off.